Welcome, truth seekers all across the fruited plain. I'm your host, Kim S. Anderson, bringing you Civics Made Simple. Hashtag we are exceptional. These are bite-sized civics lessons designed for you to take and share wherever you go. These are important times. Times that American citizens like you and me need to know how our rights came to be and the responsibilities that go along with them. Well, welcome, welcome everyone. This is Kim Anderson here with Civics Made Simple. Our lesson today dives into the legislature of our federal government, which we know is a two-house system. Now, I'm going to do my best to get through this lesson without being too sarcastic or you know, too funny as I've been in our previous lessons because I really want to get to our next lesson um, that really dives into committees. And that's, I think, one of the real reasons there's such a power brokerage and a largesse of government power concentrated in Washington, D.C. So this lesson entitled A Two-House System is going to just pretty much give an overview of the House of Representatives and the U.S. Senate, okay? So let us get started. I'm really excited. Glad to have you here. And we are following along still with our partners, Alpha Omega Publishing, with their civics course um, here with Civics Made Simple. All right, let's go. So the organization of Congress falls into what is called, one, the House of Representatives and the Senate. Now, the House, as it's called, has also been called the lower house. I don't know necessarily why it was called the lower house, but um, it, it was caused that, called that and is known as that because its members have always been directly elected by the people of each state. Now, the Constitution doesn't specify the number of representatives we should have. However, Congress took it upon themselves that the House of Representatives would be made up of a fixed number of 435 members. Now, those 435 members are presently chosen by voters in each of the 435 congressional districts that divide the states. Now, the number of representatives for each particular state is based on that state's population, which is why the census every 10 years is really important. So every state, regardless of its size and population, has at least one representative. But obviously, the larger states, the more number of representatives it has in the House. Now, as of this writing, um, in the last election cycle of 2020 and the completed census, um, the election cycle doesn't have anything to do with this, but hear me. In the completed census from 2020, California and New York both lost seats in, this, in the um, House, and Texas and Florida gained seats in the House. So you can see how the census and those things play a role in determining how that 430 35 number is divided. Um, and representatives in the House still serve for two-year terms, and obviously we know they can be reelected for an unlimited amount of terms. 
<laughs> okay, like I said, keeping it focused, keeping it focused. And so the qualifications for being a member of the house is that one, they have to be at least 25 years old, be a citizen of the United States, not a resident, but a citizen for at least seven years, and they must reside in the state that they represent. They don't necessarily have to reside in the district. I think they should, but they don't necessarily have to reside in the district, but they do have to reside in the state that they represent. And traditionally, representatives, because traditionally representatives should be close to the concerns of those groups of citizens within their state, right? They are their representatives. Um, the organization of the house. It is divided into two groups of leadership, a majority group and the minority group. Every two years after the general elections in November, the House of Representatives meets early in the month of January to elect its highest leader. That leader is called the Speaker of the House. Um, usually, whichever party, I don't want to say is in control, but the majority, whichever party has the majority, whether it be Republicans or Democrats, um, then the Speaker is elected from that membership. And the same goes for any other party. The party with the most members in the House is considered the majority party. Now, the Speaker of the House is a much sought after, super powerful position, as we well know. The Speaker is often responsible for expressing and defending the majority party's legislative agenda in the House, ideally. Um, the Speaker's role as the elect of the elect in the House places them in a highly visible position in the public. And the Speaker's duties include appointing House members for joint committees. And those are committees that are both in the House and the Senate. That's why next week we're going to be talking about committees. That is where the real power lies in D.C. and in the, in the Congress. Um, also, the Speaker decides who may speak when the House is in session interpreting and enforcing the rules with final authority and influencing when a bill will be considered by the house. We really, really saw that play out, um, in 2020. <laughs> and that's all I'm going to say about that. Moving on. The speaker of the house is also second in line behind the vice president to assume the presidency in case something happens to the president. Therefore, this role, Speaker, is very important and should not be taken lightly. Now, other leaders in the House include the minority leader, the majority whip, which would be the second in command to the Speaker, the minority whip, conference chairman, caucus chairman, and conference secretary. These leaders are responsible for a variety of duties such as providing information, scheduling, and maintaining party organization. Now, the primary duty of the House of Representatives is to represent the citizens of their districts and the states while working with the Senate to pass laws for the country. And as we well know, those of us in the states who have lived through 2020 and uh, the preceding four years, the House of Representatives is also also has the sole authority of impeachment. The House also has sole authority for originating bills for the purpose of raising money and taxes. Let's quickly look at the Senate. The Senate was called the Upper House. 
um, because it was designed to directly represent the states. And this was changed in the 17th Amendment, which I personally, if you've been following me, you know that I personally think that the 17th Amendment might need to be repealed. And what would our country look like if we still had the 17th Amendment in place? Um, just, it could be wishful thinking on my part, but I think that was a, a real... Uh, this, that, that 17th Amendment really turned us away from what our founders intended our country to be. Um, and as we know, and the Senate membership is based upon state representation, not population. So every state has an equal number of senators, which is fixed at two. Um, and it's so at this writing, there's only 100 senators, that's it, and they are elected to six-year terms, and currently, they can serve an unlimited number of terms. We're seeing that played out right now. And so qualifications for the Senate are that one, they must be 30 years of age, must be a U.S. citizen for at least nine years, and they must live in the state that they represent. I think a lot more people may want to consider running for Congress or Senate. Um, the Senate is similar in organization to the House. It is divided into two groups of leadership, the majority and the minority. Um, and each group chooses a number of leaders that represent their interests in the daily business of the Senate. In addition, the vice president um, is also known as the president of the Senate. Um, and they can have, obviously, considerable influence in the Senate and can cast a deciding vote if there's a 50-50 tie. Um, some of the duties of the Senate are as follows. The Senate has the power to approve or reject any treaties that are proposed by the president. Second, the Senate has the power to approve or reject the official nomination by the president for an office in federal government. In both cases, a two-thirds majority vote of the 100 senators is required to approve treaties and most nominations. Now, I want to just pause here and add this part. I do believe that because of Senate rules, these are rules that the Senate just made upon themselves, they have gone away from this two-thirds majority, realizing that nothing would ever happen. And they, if I recall correctly, have implemented what's called sort of, um, I don't want to say a filibuster, but majority rule. And so as long as there's a majority, then things will go forward. I think people in this last um, cycle, uh, Supreme Court nominees were uh, approved and appointed with just a majority, not a two-thirds majority for approval as it was in the past. Um, but I, I forget, I'm, it's escaping me what they called that. But there was something that happened in 20, I want to say 2014, that they changed, the Senate changed their own rules about that. And so, where are we, where are we? Um, lastly, well not lastly, but in addition, the, the Senate is responsible for trying all impeachments brought about by the House of Representatives. Now these specific duties demonstrate the power that the Senate has over the President. The Founding Fathers created this feature of the Senate to keep a president from functioning in a manner similar to a king. Now, the powers of Congress, if you read Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution, which we have done in our constitutional podcast, you can go back and check that out, um, 
you'll note that in 18 clauses, 27 different powers are expressly provided for, for Congress. Other express powers are given in the 13th, 14th, 15th, 19th, 24th, and 26th amendments. The remainder of the powers that Congress makes use of are implied and not specifically listed in the Constitution. The reason that Congress was really supposed to be the most important um, aspect of our federal government was because it was supposed to be the aspect that was closest, especially the House of Representatives, that was closest to the people. We the people run our government in theory <laughs> i'm being really good today you guys and you know it <coughs> excuse me so let's just list a few of the <clears throat> expressed powers that congress has one they have the ability to raise money through taxes excises and duties on imported goods that help cover the costs of the running of the national government <laughs> right regulating interest I'm regulating interstate and foreign trade. This power also allows Congress to provide laws and settle disputes between the states. It enables the national government to control trading with foreign countries. They are also supposed to regulate immigration and naturalization. Congress is also supposed to coin money. Um, the Founding Fathers agreed that there was a need for a single national currency. Modern-day currency is, you know, sometimes still known as greenbacks, began to be printed in 1863. Um, Congress is also supposed to support the military and the National Guard. And Congress still, though it seems to have been superseded, has the right and the authority to declare war, formal declarations of war. Congress is also supposed to control federal property. Um, this includes military bases, post office, federal prisons, and federal parks. How are they doing? Hmm. Which is interesting. If Congress is supposed to control federal property, we talked about in our, our I think our previous episode about the different areas that are fall under the executive branches that are also supposed to cover federal property. It's so much overlap, and you, you wonder why. Hmm. Okay, moving on, moving on. We're just about done. And then Congress has implied powers. The phrase giving Congress power, quote, to make all laws which shall be necessary and proper can and has been uh, interpreted in many different ways over time. This implied powers clause is also, cause, is also called the necessity and the necessary and proper clause and the elastic clause, <laughs> because if they can make any law, <laughs> they will. Okay, checks and balances was also supposed to be an implied power where Congress has the ability to check the president and also has the ability to uh, check to make sure that the judicial branch stays in, stays in check, um, that, that they don't run away with power. Um, and we also said that they also have the ability to approve treaties and nominations. Um, they also can override a veto if they feel that something's strong about what the president does. Um, and it's sort of this check and balance system that allows Congress to function properly and under constitutional authority. 
And so guys, that's it for now with Congress. Just an overview, a really, really broad overview of the two house system. Now in our next one, I think we're gonna dive a little deeper into the committees. And I'm probably gonna do a little bit more outside research than what we have here with Alpha and Omega because we really, really need to dive in and understand what these committees are all about and what they do and why this is where the real power lies in DC and in Congress. So, cause I can tell you right now, there's over um, 20 committees, house committees, uh, 16 Senate committees, 68 subcommittees. It's like, what do these people do all day? <laughs> yeah, we're going to talk about it. We're definitely going to talk about it. So stay tuned for that. Committees in action. And then after that, we've got, let's see what's coming up after we talk about the committees, how a bill becomes a law. And if you are of my generation, I know in your head, you're singing Schoolhouse Rock, a bill, you know, I'm just a bill floats through your head. So we've got some good things coming up and they are going to be really impactful as we begin to really understand one, how our government was intended to function and we see what has become of that and how it's actually functioning now. So stay tuned for that. I can't wait to get it to you. This is Kim S. Anderson with Civics Made Simple. We're over now and we will talk to you soon. God bless everybody. Have a good one. Bye-bye. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Civics Made Simple. This is your host, Kim S. Anderson, inviting you to visit our site, kimsanderson.me.me, for the latest and most up-to-date information on our podcast and our store. Follow us at hashtag WeAreExceptional on Instagram and Twitter. God bless, and we'll see you next time.